The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. If you have your Bibles, let's open them to the book of Acts. We're going to get back into our study of the book of Acts, chapter 8. And let's bow our heads and pray and ask for the Lord to speak to us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for tonight. For those who are with us, uh, Lord, uh, even inside Lord, those who are sitting outside, those who are watching online, we welcome those on KSDW that are listening on the radio. And of course, those, Lord, that are watching uh, online, wherever they may be, even in the world. We pray that we might hear what the Holy Spirit would say to us tonight. Father, we pray and lift up our nation. Um, Lord, we need you. We need your divine help. We need your divine intervention. We call upon you. We pray that you would have grace upon us, mercy upon us, lead us and guide us. Lord, I pray that as you sanctify your church, as you purify her, uh, Lord, as you draw us even closer to you, so important to be able to hear your voice. I thank you, your promise that my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And that I will not lose one that the Father has put into my hands. So we thank you for the care, the comfort, Lord, of your sovereign love for us, your angels that watch over us and keep us and protect us. So now, Lord, may your word come alive. May it be planted like a a seed that will bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. More love, more joy, and more peace in our hearts and lives. And it's in Jesus' mighty, wonderful name we pray and ask all these things. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Okay, so beginning in, uh, it's been a couple of weeks since we were there, we're following this young man named Philip. And there are a couple of young men that were chosen after the explosion of the church in the book of Acts, Acts chapter two, Peter preaches, uh, 3,000 get saved. A couple of days later, he, he and John are walking in and there's a lame man and he says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And Peter reached down and grabbed that lame man by the hand, lifted him up. And while he lifted him up, uh, his feet, literally his bones, his ankles came into healing And the man on Solomon's porch began to walk and leap and to praise God. So a large crowd gathered and Peter said, hey, I guess it's time to preach. And he preached again and an additional 2,000 believers were added to the church. So now, you know, and they said that this is just counting the men. So you have a church that's probably 20 to 30,000. And they're meeting from house to house they're also meeting on Solomon's porch. But as the disciples, you know, begin ministering and sharing the gospel and, and a great mighty move of God is happening, people are so touched with the love of God that they begin selling their farms and their homes and their real estate and whatever they, they had and they were bringing it to the apostles' feet. I really believe that those early believers felt like the kingdom was being manifest on the earth right then and there. And the apostles found themselves standing with lines of people distributing food and clothing 
And whatever needs that there may be, they all shared everything in common. It must have been a glorious experience for the church at that time. But they realized, hey, uh, we can't do this all day. We, we need to go preach in other places and cities. Jesus told us to go from Jerusalem to Judea, then Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. So they appointed seven men. Two of those young men to kind of take care of the needs of the people. One of them was Stephen. We read his story, became the first martyr of the church. But now there's another young man and his name is Philip. And we read his story. And so we're going to continue the story of Philip and how God used this young man. Now he's a deacon. He's distributing the needs, you know, the physical needs of the church. But he was an evangelist. And I want to give an encouragement to you that God wants to raise up men and women all throughout the body of Christ, reveal your gifts to you. Because I believe that we are right now experiencing the greatest surge, the greatest move of God's spirit literally around the world. The greatest harvest of all time is for such a time as this. Can I hear an amen on that? So in chapter eight, beginning in verse uh, 26, so I'm gonna start off here. We, we don't have a lot of life lessons, but let's start with this. Because we're gonna to talk tonight about how God leads us. In fact, the title of the message is How the Holy Spirit Leads Us. And I wanna say this, God leads us by the Holy Spirit one step at a time. So beginning in verse 26, it says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. And so he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all the treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot and reading Isaiah the prophet. So I want you to stop there for just one minute and let's look at what God is saying here. It's interesting the ways of God. First, it gives us an insight into how the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. He gives us one thing to do. He told Philip, I want you, Philip, to leave where you are in Samaria and I want you to go down to Gaza. And I want you just to go there and I'll lead you and guide you in that way. And that's all he told him. And we read that he was obedient and he went and he did that. So many times I've heard people say, I wish I knew what the will of God was for me. I, and, and what we really mean is we wish that we could look at a, you know, kind of a, how many of you would love to see a little movie screen? This is what's going to happen in your life. Here's where you're going to go. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to provide and kind of give you a little five-year plan. How many of you think that would be great? I would love that. But that's not how God leads us. God said to Philip, go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then he adds to him, by the way, where you're going is desert. This is the first step to the will of God. He gives him one thing to do, and, and he does not tell him why. He does not tell him where he's going to go. He just says, I, hey, Philip, I want you to uh, leave now. I want you to go down to Gaza. By the way, it's kind of a desert place. That's my will for your life. 
Now, he could have stopped there and, and said, wait a second, Lord, where do you, what do you want me to do? Why do you want me to go down there? And it's reasonable why he would ask that question because there was a revival going on in Samaria. God's Holy Spirit was being poured out. There were people that were coming to the Lord by the hundreds. Revival was happening. And now God says, I want you to leave the revival and I want you to go down to Gaza, which is kind of a desert place. And that's all he said. And I love that, that Philip says he went down to Gaza. He did exactly what God asked him to do. A lot of times we like to buy time and say, Lord, okay, you want me to go down to Gaza? I would like to go down to Gaza if that's what you want me to do but could you tell me a few more things of what you're doing and why? We like to buy time, right? We wanna find out what, what's the plan? Why do you want me to leave a revival where people are coming to the Lord left and right and you want me to go down to this strange place? By the way, Lord, you just said it's a desert. There's no people there. And we wanna negotiate with God. And so, you know, for all of us, that's a place where we say, Lord, am I gonna be obedient to you or am I not? We like to find out if, if uh, Lord, if you'll tell me why you want me to go down there and what you're going to do when I get there. <laughs> well, really what we're saying is, then I'll decide if I wanna actually obey or not, right? But the truth of the matter is, God is not waiting for our opinion. Now, I have counseled God. I have to admit many times because he'll tell me to do something and I don't fully understand why, I don't see the logic of it, and I'll kind of just say, I'll buy time by saying, Lord, I just want to wait till I have a further understanding of your plan. <laughs> <laughs> and what happens is, nothing. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and I say, Lord, I, I'm not getting anything more. And he says, well, I'm not going to give you anything more until you obey what I told you. When God came to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I want you to leave your home, your people, your land, your country, your culture, and go to a land I will show you. Now, Abraham could have said, okay, Lord, I'm ready to go. Show me where we're going. Could you give me a map? But there was no map. There was no destination. There was no, we're going to end up here or there. He just said, get up and go. And as you get up and as you pack your things and as you go, I will lead you and I will guide you and I will show you where you need to go. So I love how if you don't do the first step, God will never show you what the next step is. You hear what I'm saying? One step at a time. The Holy Spirit leads us one step at a time. So I want to ask you a question tonight. Are you wondering what God's will is for your life in the immediate near future? A lot of things are up in the air right now. What does the future look like? And, and should I, what should I do? And I wanna ask you this question. Has God told you anything that you ought to be doing or being obedient to him now? And if he has shown you something and you're waiting for maybe more information, more understanding, more video of what it will look like when I get there, I wanna encourage you to just obey what he's shown you. Amen. Just do the first step. Obey what God has shown you one step at a time. 
And I want you to notice this in verses 27 through 29. We learn that God sees every heart yearning for him. Look with me in verse 27. It says, and so he rose and he went and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and he was sitting in his chariot and he was reading Isaiah the prophet. And then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. <laughs> I love this. Because here, this Ethiopia that we're talking about is much larger than, if you go on a map and you look up where Ethiopia is today, it was a much larger section of the northern part of Africa. And it's where literally, if you remember the story in the Old Testament with King David, you remember the story of the Queen of Sheba? This is where the Queen of Sheba may have come from, from Africa and from ancient Ethiopia. And she was told about the glory of this king who lived in the city of Jerusalem in ancient Israel. And she literally traveled there to see with her own eyes what she'd only heard by tales and by stories. And she said when she got there, the half was not told me of how beautiful, glorious, and the wisdom that Solomon had. <laughs> now it's interesting that the story and history kind of indicates that when the Queen of Sheba went there and spent that time with Solomon, you know the kind of man that Solomon was. Well, let's just say the Queen of Sheba, when she was returning home, had a little gift from Solomon that was very personal, which was a baby and which was a child. And literally, she then came home because when she was there, she, began, she believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She forsook the other gods of their ancestors and began to believe in the one true God of Israel and of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And literally to this day, did you know that there are Ethiopian Jews who in modern times, now we've looked into their DNA and they have Jewish DNA. They literally go and trace their roots all the way back to Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. And not only that, so you have all of these Africans who know all about Judaism, and even within all of the Ethiopian Jews, there are many of the Ethiopians who are Jewish, but who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They're Messianic Ethiopian Jews. How's that? Our God is an awesome God. He opened their eyes through a queen, and then he brought that genealogy and that truth and that divine revelation, and it began to literally multiply and prosper and be blessed. And then the Christians came, and they shared that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David, the anointed one who died on the cross for our sins. And they believed on him, and there they are even to this day. So I love this story. Because here is Philip, and because he was obedient, he went down to the desert, even though he didn't know why, and, went, and it was all alone. But then he sees this Ethiopian who is reading a scroll from Isaiah. Now, let me tell you something about that. This man who was in charge of the treasury 
talks about Candace, which was the title for an Ethiopian queen monarch of that day. When it says that he had a, it would have been a scroll of Isaiah. They didn't have books in those days. And what that tells us is that this man was very, very wealthy, not only in charge, probably of much of the wealth of ancient Ethiopia and Jewish because he had gone to Jerusalem at the time of Pentecost and he had this tremendous hunger for God. But he, he, what, he did not find what he was looking for. He did not have a personal encounter. I don't know where he was. <laughs> he must have missed the day of Pentecost. But he didn't know anything about it. And he's returning lonely and kind of empty and like, wow, I missed it. And yet his heart yearned for God. It yearned for the truth. There was a spiritual hunger that was deep within him. And I believe that's a beautiful thing because what it shows us is that God knows every yearning heart, every seeking heart. And I want to say this to you tonight and all who are listening to this message. As I've been praying about where we are, prophetically where our nation is, and what the Lord has been showing me and speaking to me about of where we, what's going to be happening over the next three to four years, I don't think it would be hard for you to imagine we have some very, very tough, rocky times coming in our near future. And I want you to know this, that with all of the shakeups that will be coming, there are going to be many, many hearts that are going to be looking up and they're going to be crying out for God. They're going to be yearning for God. They're going to be saying, I need a divine revelation. If there is a God, I need you to speak to me. I need you to reach out to me. I need you. I need your peace. I need your love. I hunger and thirst after that. Can I hear an amen on that? God's spirit is working on them. So how beautiful that God saw the revival that ignited in Samaria, but he saw this man that was very powerful and very wealthy because to own a scroll, they didn't have books in those days. For him to be reading Isaiah means he had a scroll. And in order to have a scroll, it meant that somebody had to take years to write down every letter of the prophecy of Isaiah on a parchment and they were at great cost and great price. So wealthy man. He was a powerful man. He was a man of influence. And he was a man that was hungry for the things of God. And I want to say this, there are going to be many people who have money, who have power, who have influence, who are hungering for God right now. They're yearning for him. And God needs a man or a woman who will be obedient to him, even though their life is rich, like Philip's was in Samaria, even though their life is overflowing with activity and with fruitfulness and with signs of God's blessing and revival is breaking out. And yet God spoke to this man, Philip, and he said, Philip, I need you to leave the revival, leave all of the blessings, leave all the overflow of what's happening here, even though all kinds of people are responding to the message of the gospel here now. I've got others who can take that. I need you to go down to Gaza, out in the desert place, 
And when you do that, I'll show you what you need to do next. So here he goes, he, he's obedient, he goes down to Gaza, he's in the desert. So it's not hard to find, wow, there's a caravan, that's an important guy, because he's got this entourage all around him and he's in this big coach and he's reading a scroll and then because he was obedient, Philip was obedient to the first thing that God told him, leave here that's comfortable, be, obey me, go down to the desert and I'll tell you what to do next. So now he's down there, he sees that coach, he sees that important man, he sees him sitting there reading something and now God gives him the second thing he needs to do. Do you see that? Because he was obedient to the first thing, he was able to be obedient to the second piece of God's will for his life. And that's how it is, that's how God does it. One little step at a time. But when you do the first step, that opens your eyes to the second step. Hey, you see that guy in that coach there? Walk up to him, introduce yourself to him and ask him if there's anything that you can help him with. I love that. That's what God will do in your life. He'll bring you the next step and you'll see it and you'll walk up and say, is there anything that I can do for you? Is there anything that, you know, what are, what are you doing? So look with me now in verse 30. So Philip ran to him because the spirit said, go near and overtake this chariot. So I want you to notice he ran to him. He not only was obedient to God, but he ran. He had to run because they were in a chariot with horses. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture and which he read was, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip, and he said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Hallelujah, amen? Oh, this is beautiful. I love this. And I, here's you know, my simple point for verses 30 through 35. We are always to preach Jesus to people. Can I hear an amen on that? Always bring them to Jesus. Here's the scroll of Isaiah. And this man, you know, as he was, you know, walking up to him and he hears him reading Isaiah, I want you to notice that Philip was immediately ready to say, I know what you're reading and I know what it means. I love the scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, where Paul the apostle is talking to young Timothy and he says this, study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Can I hear an amen on that? Amen. When you're ready and you're studying and you're prepared, you can share whatever 
God may bring a situation to you that you're able to bring Jesus into the middle of it. Now, here's the glorious thing. It really didn't matter where in the entire Old Testament that this Ethiopian eunuch was reading. Anywhere from Genesis to Malachi, no matter where he was reading, it would be a revelation of Jesus. Did you know the entire Old Testament, every story, every chapter, every paragraph, every illustration, it all points to Jesus. Jesus said to the religious Pharisees and the religious leaders, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have life, but they are they which testify of me. That's the beauty. I hope that you don't just read the New Testament, but I want to encourage all of you to read, have a Bible reading plan where you read all the way through the Bible. In fact, we have a little Bible reading plan. We probably don't have any out here tonight, but you can get them and find them online or whatever, but read through the whole counsel of God and know that the Old Testament, Jesus is in Genesis. Jesus is in Exodus. Jesus is in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges and Ruth and Samuel and Kings and Chronicles and Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Amen? Amen. Jesus is in every single book of the Old Testament. So know the scriptures, read the scriptures so that you're prepared at any time. And I'm saying this. God is gonna be bringing people to you that are yearning for God, that are hungering for God, that are trying to find a way out of the chaos and mess that our current world is in. And they could be family members. And by the way, I've got a great praise report. Somebody just wrote in a beautiful testimony. They said, Pastor Ray, thank you for the prayer ministry. I have had three prodigals, and me and my husband have been praying for all three of our children who went away, we raised them in the Lord, they all went away from God, and now all three have come back to the Lord, just recently, just recently. And I wanna, I'm gonna just say that I believe, uh, again, what God is showing me and what's coming the next three to four years, it's, it's gonna be rough, it's not pretty. Um, but in the midst of that, we can't just look on what's gonna happen outwardly, but we're gonna be looking at what God is going to do in the midst of the fiery furnace that is coming. And what he showed me is, there is coming a tsunami of prodigals who were raised with the Lord but have gone away from the Lord and their tree right now is literally being shaken all the way to its foundation and to its roots. <laughs> and they're gonna try anything and everything else to try to find something stable and it's all gonna be shaky ground. It's gonna be like sand. And one day, like the prodigal son himself, they're gonna have an epiphany where it says he came to himself. What it really means is he returned to his true self. He said, what am I doing? Look at the way I'm living. I'm here with the pigs and the mud. He goes, my dad, who I ran away from, 
His, he treats his servants better than me. Now look, I've you know, squandered my inheritance. I have, I have not lived up to our name. I certainly haven't honored God. He goes, but you know what? Because one day he was looking at what the animals were eating and he was jealous of them. And he goes, okay, this is, this is not a good way to live the rest of your life. I am tired of living with pigs. Can I hear an amen? How many, how many want your prodigal to say, I'm tired of living with pigs? And wake up and have an epiphany and say, wow, if I go home and if I tell dad, dad, I don't expect you to accept me as a son. I'm not worthy of that and I haven't lived in the honor of that. But if you'll just hire me as one of your servants, I know your character and you treat your servants better than how I've been living. And the father lost it and he just embraced him and wrapped his arms around him and said, kill the fatted calf, get the ring out, throw a robe on his shoulders. My son who was lost is now home and found. Amen? Yeah. And I am telling you, when prodigals, and you know, it's sad that it's going to take the roughness uh, of what's gonna be occurring and happening over the next three to four years but isn't it worth it if for one prodigal to return home, be restored to his family, let alone his God, and have his eternal future settled once and for all? Can I hear an amen on that? If only prodigals came home, it would be a revival. Let alone there's gonna be many that have never known Christ and many that were never raised in a godly home or a Christian home, and God's gonna pour out his spirit upon them and they're gonna be coming home like we have never seen. Amen? It's beautiful. I love this, Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. I'm just gonna read it to you. For, at the, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and does not return there but waters the earth and makes it bring forth in bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that comes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Know this, that whatever you have done to invest in your children or the next generation and planting the word of God and planting the seed of God's word, it will never return void. It will always bear fruit. We need to pray the seed to germinate we need to pray the rainwaters to come upon it, but it will ignite and it will bear fruit and it will not return void. Amen? Amen. Glory to God in the highest for great things he has done. All right, so look with me in verse 36. So, so here, Philip says to him, listen, I'm gonna share with you Jesus. I'm going to bring Jesus to you. And he talked about him in, in these very scriptures. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. He said, hey, eunuch, while you were there in Jerusalem, did you hear of Jesus of Nazareth? Now, I don't know if he had or not. I would imagine that he had because everybody was talking about Jesus of Nazareth and the miracles. But this man being from Ethiopia probably had not had time to be there or maybe see Jesus' miracles, but surely had heard of him and his death and crucifixion. And he goes, that's exactly what Isaiah prophesied. And as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life 
is taken from the earth. So Philip was able to talk to him about, this was not Isaiah talking about himself. This was Isaiah the prophet talking about the Messiah who would come for Israel. And that Messiah was just with us in Jerusalem. The man that you heard about, Jesus of Nazareth, that for the last three years has turned our country upside down, signs and wonders, power and authority, miracles, healings, deliverances from demons. And then he died as the lamb for all the sins of the world. And now let me tell you, Mr. Ethiopian, on the third day, this Yeshua of Nazareth rose from the dead. And that's what's been happening all now in the Temple Mount area. We just saw a miracle of a lame man who had been lame his whole life. But Peter and John, two of his disciples, went and they lifted him in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand and walk. And he was walking and leaping and praising God. Peter preached the gospel on Pentecost, which you came to celebrate and when he did, the spirit of God came upon him. Now, I don't know where he was or if he was there, maybe he heard it or whatever, but he put all those pieces together for him and said, this Jesus is the Messiah. He is the son of God. He is the savior of the world. He is risen from the dead and his kingdom is coming. So we read, Beginning in verse 34, so the eunuch answered Philip and asked and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this of himself or some other man? Philip opened his mouth, beginning with this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Wow. I mean, he basically listened to the story and said, I believe I accept it. Maybe he'd heard, maybe he'd seen, maybe he had been feeling something like that. And even while I was reading it, it was electrifying my heart. Okay, now I get it. He had a divine revelation. He goes, can I get baptized? Meaning I want to make a commitment. I'm from Ethiopia. I'm from Africa. I come from the queen of Sheba. I'm already Jewish, but now I'm ready to accept Jesus as the Messiah, the son of the living God. And I want to identify with him. And then Philip answered in verse 37, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus, Yeshua, Christ, which is Messiah in Hebrew, the anointed one, is the son of God. That's it. That's salvation. That's all it takes. Yes. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. Now, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, or the other name for it is Ashdod. It's the ancient Philistine city. And passing through, he preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Now, this is a wild story. Philip's mysterious translation. So right after the guy gets baptized and he's worshiping and praising the Lord, 
Philip disappears. And then Philip, so where did he go? We don't know. It doesn't say. It just says that he disappeared. He was with the guy, baptized the guy. Yay, you got baptized. And then he disappeared. And he now suddenly found himself, the way it sounds, the way it's left, clearly all the Bible commentators basically say there was some kind of a miraculous translation from being in Gaza and then in the next moment, he disappeared there and he appeared somehow in a brand new area, ancient Ashdod, the city of the Philistines, the perennial enemies of Israel and God put his son Philip there so he could share the love of God and Jesus Christ with them and win even the Philistines into the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah, amen? Isn't that beautiful? How did that happen? I don't know. If we were to ask Philip, he would say, I don't know. I saw the guy, he got baptized. We were smiling and staring at each other. I blinked and there I was. By the way, do you know that this city, Azotus or Ashdod, is about 34 miles away? Doesn't say that he walked there or that he traveled there, but God literally translated him. You know what? How many of you believe that God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants? And I believe that we're literally living now in the days of the book of Revelation. I believe we're literally in the last days. And I am telling you, over the next three to four years, you will know it like you've never known it before. And the most important thing for all of us until we get, so here's the last connection I'll make about you know, the translation of Philip from Gaza. And then in a moment later, he was somehow supernaturally translated 34 miles away. That reminds me of the rapture where one minute we're here, we blink and the next minute we're up in heaven with Jesus. Can I hear an amen on that? How many are looking forward to that translation? And we long for it. And it can happen at any time, at any moment. That's the whole thing. It's a mystery. It's a surprise. And Jesus said to wait for it, watch for it, be looking for it. It's our great hope. But until we hear the trumpet and until we're caught up and he's going to be right on time. And, um, but until then, there's a reason why we're still down here. And that is because there are loved ones, family members, friends, spouses, sons and daughters, neighbors, uh, fr you know, co-workers that don't know Jesus. And, and we're, you know what's at stake is eternity. So God wants to anoint you as a Philip or a Paula, I guess, to be the mouthpiece that God will use. So will you be obedient? Are you ready in this moment, in this time, to say, Lord, whatever you show me, I'm not gonna you know, pressure you to give me the whole plan. If you'll just show me one thing that you want me to do, I'll do it to the best of my ability and I'll do it with all my heart until you show me the next thing to do and then I'll do that. Can we be willing to do that, amen? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. 
visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.